Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. Hey, I want to welcome you to A Minute with Coach Riggs. This is uh, your host, Jamie Riggs. I'm really excited about the uh, episode today. I've had, got a couple of former T.R. Miller Tigers with me, and we're going to talk about the 2023 edition of the T.R. Miller football team. So I have with me today, and I'm going to see if I can get this right now, Tony Burnham, class of 1990. That's right, Coach. And, and, and Michael English, class of 1994. And yes, sir, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And uh, they are our broadcasters, broadcast the games on, on everything these days, from the radio to the you, you find you on the Internet and all kinds of different places these days. But they do a, they do a really nice job of uh, doing the, uh, the games and a little hard on the referees sometimes. <laughs> but we are. Uh, we are. Uh, most of the time they deserve it, though, coach. Yeah, well, may, may, maybe so. I ha- I had my moments on the sideline sometimes too. I can tell well, you I that. I didn't want to say that, but I was certainly <laughs> thinking that. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's uh, let's get into it, guys. You know, um, I guess probably need to start with 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 the preseason because um, you know preseason in the old days and the summers. We lifted weights and ran a couple of days a week, and that's all we ever did. Very different today, guys. Uh, our, our players put in a lot of time and effort into the, the summers as well as the coaches. And today we have seven on seven as well as workouts and practice. And you can practice now the, the entire summer in helmets. And we have um, workouts, seven on sevens, um, what they call OTAs, which, and we do this some, we'll get together with another school, and they may come over here and We'll kind of practice against them and them against us, so it's it's a kind of a different deal than getting ready for the uh, for the seasons. But uh, one of the bad things that happens with some of that sometimes is a possibility that because you do a little more that you can get some injuries. Tony, we suffered a, a pretty hard injury uh, this summer when we lost Miles Johnson. Well, you know, we did, and a lot of people look at Miles and. Right before it was announced, right before, and Michael probably has the timeline better than I do on it. Uh, but but right before this injury happened, this ACL injury, which he wound up having to have surgery on, I think about three weeks before the season started. Uh, but right before that happened, uh, he was brought into Coach Saban's office and had a picture taken with him, and Coach Saban offered him. Uh, and and Miles would have, this would have been his junior year. Miles Johnson going into his junior year this year, and so that was a big loss for T.R. Miller. And, and and you say, well, golly, you know, you lose a power five kind of guy off your team. Really, you look at it, it's like losing two power five guys off our team because not only was he had been our tar- starting tailback, he would have also been one of our starting linebackers. And to lose, and I think, and I think, Miss, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I think Mississippi State had offered him as a running back, and I think Bama may have wanted him as a defensive player. So if you have the caliber of a, of a player who's power five SEC-type player and you lose that on both sides of the ball, it's going to hurt a 4A team, especially a small 4A team. Um, and, and he's not the only injury that we had. We also lost uh, – now, he's the most significant one. Obviously, they're the one that's going to grab the headlines, Coach. But we lost a uh, young, big, which I think is going to be a really good offensive lineman for us for the first half of the season, practically, which uh, it, it was a off-the-field type injury. And we'll just get him back. So, And we'll talk about the offense a little bit later. And so hopefully getting uh, C.J. Gibson back from – he broke his arm will kind of help solidify the offensive line going forward in the second half of the season. But, Michael, if I missed anything on that, you feel free and jump in and talk a little bit about Miles. Yeah, you're right, Tony. What, what, what the, the biggest thing with the Miles injury was, and, and I think that Coach Hubbard described this good when he when he and I had a conversation about it, which it was very frustrating because um, to Miles, and it wasn't like this tragic event that happened on the field and they heard the knee pop and he screams and everybody goes crazy. Um, he 
had been out there, they were just doing some of the like things that Coach Riggs had just described, some of the OTAs. I mean, I think they worked out that morning. He had gone out there on the field, and they were just running some passing routes, and he kind of stepped wrong, and he and, and Coach Hubbard kind of noticed that it didn't really look right. So he said, uh, Miles, take, take a break a little bit. You okay? Yeah, I just kind of felt my knee move a little bit, but, but I think I'm okay. Well, three days later, they go to Mississippi State, and they played these seven-on-seven games that you can do now. And he was so impressive over there, cutting on a dime, running full speed, guarding running backs out of the backfield. Mississippi State offered him as a running back. This is three days after he supposedly hurt his knee on the field that they didn't even think was really an issue. And so Coach Hubbard, trying to be safe about it, said, Miles, I'll tell you what, until you go get an MRI, we're going to shut you down. Let's just let's just hold on right here until you we get this checked. And they had a big seven on seven up here. T.R. Miller had seven or eight teams that came. Um, Chilton County was here with their five star linebacker. This and that. And, you know, Miles, uh, Coach Hubbard basically took his helmet from him. He said, "You you don't go out there. You're not playing until we get the results back from that MRI." Well, but the morning that the res- he goes and has the MRI, the morning that he's going to get the results back. He's in there in the weight room squatting like 435 pounds. Like, he thinks nothing is wrong with him. And then he gets the results back, and it says his ACL's torn. And they're all kind of looking at each other like, you got to be kidding me. You know, it's just one of those things that they don't really know when he did it. They said that this could have been an injury that happened, you know, maybe ninth grade, you know, 10th grade, whatever. But he's just a strong kid, you know, and – and uh but hopefully they're thinking that the recovery will be quick because he is his he's so the, the muscles around the, the ligaments and all um, are strong and, and, and recover well and I know Tony Tony's seen it. It's a lot different than when Coach Reeves was coaching. I mean used to if you had an ACL injury, you were done. I mean, they just put you out in the pasture, you had big old scar on your knee and that was it. And I and I was just blown away. He had the surgery. And then we played that preseason kind of jamboree game against Clark County, and he was wearing cr- – he had the crutches, but he was barely even using the crutches. It was almost like he had the crutches because they told him he had to have the crutches. But every now and then you'd see him twist or turn or walk, and he wasn't even using the crutches. And this was only like seven days after the surgery, ACL surgery, and this guy's walking around with no crutches. And I'm thinking, well, we've come a long way with science. Well, but he's unique physically too, uh, and, and Michael can attest to that. Is he's he's he, not only unique physically, he's just a total package kid, Coach. He's, you know, I, I don't care what school you root for, uh, college wise. This is the kind of guy that you want to sign at, at the at, at the school that you root for because he's highly intelligent. He's a high character kid. Physically, he can do everything on the football field that you ask him to do, uh, and and he's just you know the, the kind of kid that you root for and you want to su- support and and want want to see do great things in his future going forward. And so, um, yeah, I was I was highly surprised that he was moving and had the mobility, uh, the swelling. I um, mean, it was swollen up pretty big when he first came back, and then it seemed like it went away overnight. And, and now you can see him walking out there, and it's just like he's, you know, nothing's wrong. And I don't, what is he, Michael? Six, seven, eight weeks, maybe now post surgery or whatever it is. Um, and he's his gait's fine. I don't see any limp with him uh, that I've noticed. And so you you really root for him uh, just because of the kind of kid that he is. You want to see him have success, and you hate that he had this setback. But uh, I, I was able to talk to him and give him some advice and give him some encouragement and. You know, and he, he seems to be taking it in stride mentally and, and preparing himself physically for next year. So uh, that's good to see him yeah, as well. And I think that, that Coach Hubbard has told, said this best, and, and, and I know Coach Riggs coached as, as many football games as he has and won games and, and has seen kind of guys have injuries. And this Coach Hubbard said that's one reason why this kid is going to recover as fast as he does and he'll return the field quick and he'll be like brand new because he's a high character kid this is not something that he will let set him back miles is in the national honor society and he has a good foundation at home he he has a good circle of friends he is the leader he's a well-spoken kid he has he has good manners uh and, and coach hubbard said that'll be one of the reasons why he will recover from this and he will come back better than ever 
because he is a high character kid. He won't use this as an excuse to turn and do wrong and, and get away from football or whatnot because Miles is not that kind of person. He will recover and he will bounce back and he will be ready because of his upbringing, his discipline, and because he is a high character kid is why he will be able to recover from this. Of course, I coached his dad, Mook, and, and his uncle, Sean or Bebe. I told their mother one time that I was mad with her. And she said, Coach, why are you mad with me? I said, because if you'd had five boys instead of two boys, we'd won a lot more football games until you know. <laughs> you, you ain't kidding about that. And I, and I tell you, man, that's one thing I think that his injury, and I, I know we won't get stuck on this much longer, but that's one thing that, that, that Coach Hubbard told me that he was concerned about being the biggest effect of the team. Tony said it earlier, you're not losing one player, you're losing two, and at a small, you know, rural school like this, that's tough. Coach Hubbard said, yeah, Miles can't play, so we're, not a, we're not as good a team because Miles is not out there. I get that. He said, I get that. You're going to lose players injured. He said, my concern is, is what it does to the locker room because he said, since these were little boys, five, six years old, since these were little kids playing YMCA basketball, Little League baseball, peewee football, middle school, he said, Miles has always been there with this group. They've always, it didn't matter who they played, what the score was, who they were about to have to play, what sport it was, they all said, well, we're going to be okay because we got Miles. Um, if we need a big third down run, well, we're okay because we're going to give it to Miles. If we need a big stop on fourth and one, well, we're going to make that stop because we got Miles. We're always going to be okay because we got Miles. Well, now he is in the locker room, but for the first time in these kids' life, they don't have Miles. And he said, who in that locker room is going to step up and not use that as an excuse and wants to be – I'm not asking, he said, I'm not asking anybody in that locker room to be Miles Johnson. But we got to quit worrying about Miles being there or not being somebody. We still have to go play football. We're still going to put 11 guys out there who wants to be one of those guys now. And he said, that was my concern is how are those kids that have spent their whole life always having Miles on their side don't necessarily have Miles with them now. How are they going to respond to that? Let's just jump right into the offense. So we've played five games. We've Won three games. We've lost two. The two losses were to two good football teams and UMS Wright and Jackson, obviously. Let's talk a little bit about the offense and how that coaching staff up there has gone about trying to replace him. And a little bit about our offensive line, Tony. They, um, we, we probably um, have one of the smaller groups than we've had in a while, but we've been good blockers, and I think that group's played pretty tough up there so far. Yeah, they have, Coach, and, and you know, traditionally they're fairly small, but we do have some size, and I mentioned earlier C.J. Gibson was hurt. Now he's back. I think he's been back for like a game and a half, so um, the offensive line will go into the second half of the season, um, kind of how they drew, drew it out during the preseason before C.J. got hurt and broke his arm, and so he'll have to get into play in shape. You know, Michael knows one or two games is not going to get you back into playing shape if you've missed almost half a season. But um, you know, I, I've been impressed with what they what they've done. Um, and, and one of the things that that's happened from CJ's injury is they've plugged in some younger guys, uh, and and they've you can kind of see them learning earlier in the year at the offensive line, and they've really rounded out and and have been playing well. And I'm speaking about Ashton Madden. Uh, Eli Carpenter, they've gotten a lot more playing time on the offensive line, also on the defensive line, but on the offensive side. And so um, we also had another injury on the offensive front coach with Tony McBrayer. He was he's by far our heaviest offensive lineman. He's right at 300 pounds and, and, and a good offensive lineman, good, hard-nosed, old-school offensive lineman. Um, he got hurt. Michael, tell me if I'm wrong. You correct me. Your memory's better than mine. You're a little bit younger, but – I think it was right before halftime of the Hillcrest game. Um, That's correct. He come out and, and uh, of course, we don't talk about injuries on the radio, Coach, because we don't know who's listening. We don't want right. to assess people. And, and we don't know, uh, you know, what's really going on. But I really thought it was going to be a significant knee injury he came out with. Uh, wound up being, I believe, a hyperextension. But, anyway, 
he, he missed the second half of the Hillcrest game, which affected us offensively. And, um, and we wound up winning that game in overtime. But um, he actually moved. He rebounded in the next game we played UMS right, and he was moved to center. He's never played center in his life. And so had to plug in some young, inexperienced guys. And you know what that means up front when you put in, you know, your, your second or your B-team kind of guys that don't have that experience in the trenches. Um, have never been out there under the lights and, and run like you're running against a UMS team, that can be a lot to handle. Um, I, I thought our guys up front handled it well. We obviously had a chance to win that game, but, but we ended up losing it. But um, the offensive line took them a game or two, and they, they appeared to jail and, and, and get better. You're right, they were blocking better. Uh, now with CJ coming back, I, I expect us – be a little more forceful and be able to do some things up front, uh, blocking schemes and, and, and technique-wise, that, that, and be a lot better at it than maybe what we were with some of our B-team guys in there. So I'm excited about the second half of the season with, with our offensive line intact. You're right, Tony. They got, they, got, they got some guys up there. Like you mentioned Ashton Madden. Ashton Madden until this year never even played football. Yeah, so that's right. He's, he's getting a dose of, of – he's getting a lot thrown at him right here like at one time. Like, man, this oh, – you know, so he, he just – he's this is the first like, five football games where he's actually put a, put a helmet on and been out there in front of a crowd and played. So I think there was a lot of getting used to that part of it too. And you're trying to explain to him maybe, you know, we're practicing hard, Ashton, but the game's going to be quicker. And you, you always got those people, yeah, you're right, whatever. I don't believe you. And the game kind of – he was like, ooh, coach, this is faster. So I, I think he, like you said, Tony, there's still some guys up there kind of maturing and kind of figuring out how this, how this works. And I, I think the second half, I hope they, I think we're going to really see them jail and, and really improve as the year goes. I think the injury to CJ, obviously you don't want to have anybody hurt. It could have kind of been a, a, you know, a fortunate thing for us because we we're able to get Ashton Madden and Eli Carpenter, which are younger guys with a little bit of size to them get them some really good experience going forward and uh, hopefully, you know, get through the second half of the season and make the playoffs, you know, get into your third season. But we really have some depth there that we maybe not would have had if those guys uh, didn't weren't forced into action because of injury. If I'm not mistaken, Stephen Lane's played a lot of football Stephen, for us. Yeah, I was going to mention him. Matt, his name wrote down too. He He's done really good on both sides of the ball. And Stephen did a great job last year. He's done doing a fantastic job this year those, those guys when, when you have michael mentioned it when you have kind of your heart and soul of your team not in there and it's and it's a guy who handles the ball a lot on offense and having a good i know i've blocked for some good running backs coach and having a good running black back gives you confidence and it makes your job a little bit easier uh, you know i don't know if it actually does but it feels like it does and so um those guys you know with, with losing miles um, had a little pressure on him to perform up front because although Askew ran some last year, he wasn't the feature back because um, we had you had Freight, which was Fountain, and then you had uh, Miles Johnson back there, and so Askew would get mopped up time. But uh, and I know we'll get to the running backs in a little bit, but I thought he uh, he's done he's done great filling in for Miles. But you're right, Stephen Lane has had two good solid seasons um, playing offensively and defensively for Terrell Moore. You know, one of, one of the things that uh, when I was coaching that that I liked every year when I had it was a returning quarterback. And we had a we have a returning quarterback in uh, Nathan Commander, and so talk a little bit about about him, Mike, and what he's brought to the offense this year. Well, I think one good thing too about Nate, like you said, Coach, is is having a returning player. And you, it's hard to beat. It's it's hard to beat experience and. So there's so much of that playbook that he knows. And, you know, he understands the calls and he understands the signals. They're not having to to go through all that. It was so much time this summer where they didn't have to spend a lot of time going through because he was going to be a new quarterback. He, he got that last summer, um, and he's been in the program for a while. So there was so many things that they could go, but, you know, and try to add to it and, and come up with some new things because he had that experience. And I tell you, Nate, one good thing about him, and I've heard Coach Hilbert talk about it, and I know you, you Coach Riggs, uh, we always appreciate his guys. He never gets too high, and he never really gets too low. He he has a good demeanor about it. You know, Nate doesn't talk a lot, um, but he, he doesn't let his emotions get to him, 
he's 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 pretty mild mannered. He's a calm kid, and buddy, can he throw that football? And he and he's not the most mobile, you don't think, but when we get to so much of that running the football and really trying to play that smash mouth over and over and over, he's shown sometimes where he has the ability to pull it and he. He can run a little bit, and it has kind of helped to open that offense up, take a little heat off that offensive line. You start packing that box, trying to get in there and hammer that hammer that power and hammer that butt sweep, and, and he does that little zone read. He pulls it. We've seen several times this year where he's pulled it, and you're not asking him to go 75 or 80 yards, but when you pull it out and, and that outside linebacker, that outside contain has, has lost his leverage because he's trying to get in there and make the tackle on one of our backs, and next thing you know, Nate's – eight, 10, 12, 15 yards here and there, it, it all of a sudden adds another wrinkle to that offense. But he can re- just really throws the football well. I mean, he's a good quarterback, throws it well. And, and like I said, I think his best attribute is, is just a good, calm, mild manner. He does not let his emotions get the best of him. And he's, he's faced a lot of pressure, too, this year, Coach. And he started out yeah. – actually, we, we played Clark County – um, in, in the little jamboree that you know, played a half and then the, the younger kids come out and played the second half and they kind of set the model of what we've seen for most of the year. They just load the box and they blitz. I mean, they, they, you know, and so that's what we've seen, uh, through Hillcrest, UMS, Wilcox, Jackson, Orange Beach. They load the box and they're sending people, which puts pressure on an offensive line, especially one that's young. I don't have a lot of experience, but it also puts pressure on your quarterback, puts, you know, you know as well as anybody, uh, you, you got a very aggressive defense like that. It can it can really flush to the quarterback and, and impede what the offense is trying to do. And and Michael hit it right on the head. Is he's been really calm and really serene through a lot of those uh, pressures that he's he's been under. Yeah, you know, guys. Um, one thing about him, he has the one attribute that you want out of most quarterbacks. I, I view him as being a very accurate passer. He can he can put the ball in a position to give your guy a chance to catch it, but I thought in the second half the other night against Orange Beach, I think we're tied at halftime. I thought that he kind of took over the game in the second half, made some big runs, made some great throws and all down there when we needed it. And that's what you want your quarterback to do. You know, when the pressure's on down there, or things weren't going great for us at the time. He kind of took over the game, I thought, offensively and, um, and and made some big plays and helped us win that game. Yeah, I, I, think, you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, that, that Coach, was, I tell you, you know, Tony, I, I think that one thing that he – you talked about his accuracy. It, it, and I guess any time you see a high school quarter, you're, you're trying to figure out, well, who were they like in college or who were they like in the pros? And to me, so he, he just has like that – That they, talk, they always talk about the accuracy that Drew Brees had. And to me, that's almost like Nate. He, he, he's not the biggest, um, and, and he's not the fastest. But if there is any kind of window, he has the confidence. He thinks he can throw that ball in there. And more times than not, he does. And I think that's what helps is you don't have to have this great separation for him to have that confidence to throw that football. He'll throw you open. He'll throw that ball where his guy can catch it, and only his guy can catch it. He's done that a lot of times this year. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the other skill guys. Uh, you mentioned to ask you. Let's talk about the runners a little bit. You know, and uh, who has has come in there and uh, kind of filled those voids. Tony, I, I, I think that um, you know, coming into the season when we heard about everybody, obviously word spreads fast with with Miles going down, and when we lost Miles, well, you lost you know DJ Fountain from last year and Miles, so you lost a two hundred fifty pound basically fullback and a two hundred twenty pound running back. So coming into the year, you, you don't have either one of them. So you're thinking somebody's got to step up. And Takai Askew has done that. I mean, you know, Takai is is a is not overly big. He's he's tall. He's tall, real lean, um, and skinny. But I tell you what, if there's a guy that plays football um, a lot bigger than he really is, I mean, if Takai doesn't sniff 180 pounds, I wouldn't think he is. He's skinny, but. You know, and, and Tony says it all the time. He looks like, you know, Derrick Henry. He's got the dreads coming out of the back of his helmet. He wears number two. He's long, and he runs like Henry. He runs – you better have your buckle, your, your buckles on your helmet tightened up, make sure they're in place right, and you better make sure your mouthpiece fits. He is uh, 
he might weigh 165 pounds, but he runs that football like he's about 220. He, the guy loves contact, and he likes to hit, and he and he plays the same way on defense. And he takes that defensive mindset over there to that offense, and he is he's long and rangy and hard to get, hard to hit. But he loves contact, and I think that's helped. Is is he's he's, he's kind of stepped up, and he's a tough, tough football player. Um, he's not necessarily your prototype running back, but he uh, he'll take that football if you want to give it to him thirty times a game. He'll take it, and he'll run just as hard the, the last time as he does the first time. Yeah, he, he's a he's a really really good football player, Cash. And I'm sure you've seen him. I, I absolutely love his running style. All of the running backs. And Michael and I have talked about it on air and off during breaks. Is how hard I, this is my this is my third season uh, being back in Bruton and, and broadcasting. So I've I've got to watch the Tigers for, for three years now, every game, and have the pleasure to to call for WK and you and and the internet stuff. And so um, one of the things I've noticed is I've been back, and and, and it's always I guess been a trade to our Norris and Sacker members how hard the running backs run. This team is no exception, um, and and from from Askew all the way down to Jordan Jolly and everybody in between, when they get the ball, they are such determined runners, and it's almost like they're getting ready for a fist fight when they're running the ball. I mean, that, that's just kind of what it reminds me of. It's just they take the aggression to the defenders. Um, now, I, I wish you know. I, you know, I, I wish I could get. A, I, I've got a lot of extra weight on me, coach, and I wish I could give ask you about <laughs> twenty pounds. I mean, if I did, he would absolutely be an all-world type player. Uh, but uh, he's he just a good, good, good football player, and I enjoy watching. I said this on the broadcasts, trying to implore people to come out and watch the Tigers, but because for seven or eight bucks or whatever it is now, um, to get to see these guys play as hard as they play. You'd be proud that they're playing for your school and, and representing your school and, and your town. And so uh, it, it's, you know, Hubbard's another one offensively uh, and defensively, just like Askew is, you know, just like when you were here, Coach, we got a lot of guys that go both ways. So Eli Hubbard, um, gosh, Michael, they line him up, you know, split him out. He goes in the Wildcat some. He does H back some. Um, he's really kind of come on to be, I, I don't know what the stats are, but he may be our leading uh, pass catcher as far as number of receptions. I know in the last two or three games, we've thrown the ball a lot to him, and, and uh, he's got some, some big yardage for us. And so he's another one offensively. Another good another good offensive weapon that has, has been out there lately um, and has really made some big catches. We talked about Commander being able to, you know, find that find the guy and fit it into those windows. But another a good offensive weapon um, is has been uh, Brody Anthony, the tight end, number yeah. twenty-two, is a big yeah. target, six-three, six-four, and just it, it, maybe maybe some of the best hands on the team. I mean, can really catch the ball. Has had some big catches um, and, and some clutch situations this year when we've really needed it. He has been a good go-to guy as far as um, in the air throwing that football. Has, has been Brody Anthony. He's really stepped up to catch that ball from that tight end spot to kind of give you another weapon in there in the middle. You're right about that, and I see I need I see number seven playing a lot out there. Uh, he's doing a little bit of everything for us. Of course, that's Eli Hubbard. And let's talk a little bit about the defense. We I, I really thought last year um, we were excellent defensively, particularly against the run, especially in the league we were in last year in the three A league region one. Uh, you got to run the ball, and you better be able to stop the run if you want to win games. And I thought we did a a really good job of that, and 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 Andy Lambert's done a nice job as a defensive coordinator of allowing us to be able to do that and coaching that. When you're a little short at linebacker anyway, and you lose one, it really makes it tough. And I know that um, we've had to kind of move some folks around and do some things. But and I really thought the second game against UMS, we we played so hard on defense, particularly to lose that game. It seems like to me in the second half of that game, uh, UMS spent most of the second half on our end of the field, and we're just warding them off with everything we can to keep them out of the end zone. So talk a little bit about the uh, the defense and some of those guys that have shined over there so far this year. Well, I've told Michael, uh, you know, a couple times during the breaks this year that, you know, that at this point of the season, 
the defensive side of the ball is the MVP of this Tiger team. Um, they've been put in some hard situations uh, and, and have been able to come out of it. And, and the thing about it is, they're not. We're not big up front, um, and and we're not. I don't think we're as quite as fast overall as what we were last year. But whenever a play seems to be needs to be made, we'll make it. Um, I think we've got probably more interceptions halfway through this year than what we had last year. I don't, I, I'm just going by what my memory serves. I don't have any hard data in front of me, but uh, we, we're, it seems like we're a little tighter, a little better on the backside. We were able to get some, some interceptions, coverage a little bit better. Uh, with the exception of the Jackson game, of course, they've just got dudes all over the place, and we can talk a little bit about that later. But uh, they, they've, they've really performed, I think, if you look at them on the hoof, they perform better than what you think they would perform by just looking at them. And, and I really think, well, I think history will show that the, the very first game played against Hillcrest, they, they're the reason we won that game, uh, in my opinion. Uh, they're the reason we were in the UMS game. You mentioned that. Wilcox, Wilcox Central, uh, it kind of is what it was. Jackson is just like a buzzsaw. And then again, Orange Beach, um, you know, the defense comes out second half and just plays lights out. And again, you're talking about a lot of the same names on defense and what we just talked about on, on offense. You know, Hubbard's in their little linebacker. Askew's in their little in middle linebacker. Uh, you've got uh, Eli Carpenter, Stephen Lane, uh, John Robert Jernigan. They, all these guys play on the defensive line and rotate in and out. And then, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of these guys are going both ways, uh, but they're warriors and uh, they're greediness is is something i talked about it with the running backs coach how how they take the flight to you this defense is the same way now they'll come up they'll hit you in the mouth and uh, they're, they're a fun group to watch yeah steven and you mentioned steven lane um steven's one of those that, that he's kind of the anchor of that offensive line and and he is but he's he's played tremendous on that defensive line i mean just relentless effort and, and playing I'm not saying he plays every snap, but he plays a lot of them on the defensive line as well. And you hope that maybe with the temperatures dropping and getting a little cooler, that that's going to help him um, through the year because there's not a whole lot of defensive line depth. And uh, so so getting these temperatures dropped, getting it a little bit cooler out there where it's not so rough on them, uh, maybe hopefully help those guys um, in the second half of the season that are having to go both ways. But you know, one name that, that we can mention, two names actually we're going to mention on that defensive line that we don't get to mention on offense is is one is uh, the, the nose is uh, number nine, Lamarian Bell. Lamarian hurt his ankle pretty bad against Hillcrest, so he was kind of hampered a little bit. Last week he came back and he was able to play a lot more, um, and, they, and they expected him to almost be the every down nose all year, but when he rolled his ankle real bad, it was a he was having a hard time getting over it. He came back last week, and we got that game in control last week. I think me and Tony kept mentioning it on the air against Orange Beach. There were about five or six plays in a row where he absolutely stayed in the Orange Beach backfield. And I, there were two or three times I thought he was going to take the handoff. He almost <laughs> he almost intercepted the snap a few times. Um, and he's kind of been one of those moles of, of – and Coach Ridge knows all these guys, it's – He's kind of a Walter Hodges, a Tristan Moore guy. He's not overly yeah. tall, but quick and low to the ground. And, buddy, when he gets a center that doesn't move well, that guy, he, you can see the center. They won't out of the game because they can't, get, they can't stay in front of him. Which is unusual in today's game because the offensive line rules are so much different than when, when Michael, me, and you played. And, Coach, when you first came back to, to, to Miller, is you know, it was – you know, you couldn't use the hands like you can now. The offenses are totally different. And so blocking styles have changed a little bit. You would think that a smaller, quicker guy like that would kind of be, uh, you know, relegated to the past. But uh, he uses that speed and strength, and he's, he's a really strong cat, too. I mean, he, he can move, but he's got strength, and he knows how to use that leverage. And Michael's right. He stays in the backfield when he's healthy, and, and uh, we'll certainly need him to do that in the second half of, of the season, second half of the schedule. Like what, what, one name that, that – and the other name I was going to mention, Tony, too, and, I, and I'm sure this guy's probably kind of jumped out at, at Coach Riggs watching the game, but he's a defensive-only guy, and he's just a sophomore. But um, number 36, uh, play a tackle, C.J. Stanton. I want everybody to remember that name. C.J. Stanton, just a sophomore. 
and he plays every single snap on the defensive line on Friday nights, and you have started to see the light come on with him. Mm-hmm. He is strong, 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 and he really, he really wants to be a good football player, and he, he's a good kid. And he plays every snap on the on that defensive line. And the last couple of games, you've really started to see the light come on where he's learning how to use his hands. He's learning how to use leverage. And he had a big sack last week against Orange Beach. When that game, we didn't really have that game in hand like we needed to. And he came off the edge and hit their quarterback from behind. Not only did he sack him, he forced the fumble. We got on it, recovered the fumble. It was a really, really, really big play in the game. C.J. Stanton is going to be a name that people are going to hear for the, for the next couple of years. He is probably he's going to be a big name defensive tackle around here, and he has come on to be a real big piece of that puzzle on that Tiger defensive line. Yeah, and he's a good athlete too. I mean, he's six foot plus. He's two hundred pounds plus. Just you know, still just a baby, going to grow. And so, um, if, if he takes care of himself and, and eats and works out and does the things he needs to do, by the time he's a senior. He's going to really give people a handful with his size and his strength and his his mobility over there. But yeah, CJ's a that's that's a I'm glad you brought him up, Michael, because uh, you're right. The lights come on with him, and he's been you know one of those younger kids that I, I've kind of been watching up front too, and and just kind of see him learn and 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 as the season's gone on, uh, has been pretty remarkable to watch, and I'm excited about what the future holds for him. You know, in the um, in the Orange Beach game, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we we were behind going in the fourth quarter. That's right. You know, we went down, almost scored. We didn't. You know, we made a mistake. It did. We didn't get it in the end zone. We had them backed up down there, and the defense kind of just took over, pressured yeah. them, forced them into a to a, a, an interception that we ran back for a touchdown. But I just thought they kind of took over in the second half. Got the momentum going that we needed going, and then, you know, once we uh, scored on that interception, you could just feel the momentum take change in the uh, in the stadium, and there wasn't any doubt. I I, I told somebody we, we'll win this by two or three touchdowns now, and uh, they just the defense just kind of took over the whole game. Yeah, my, if I remember right, Michael, and you helped me now, but we I think we had back to back pick six on two consecutive drives by them, um, and, and I think we wound up having four interceptions. In the fourth quarter, um, yeah, and so you know, the Tigers are. I mentioned this earlier. The Tigers are very opportunistic defense. Uh, we offensively and defensively, what I've seen so far this year is, if we can dictate the momentum and the flow of the game, um, then we can kind of play the type of football that, that suits us offensively better and defensively better. Uh, one example of that on the offensive side or, or on the defensive side is. Uh, whenever we were late in the fourth quarter against UMS, we fumbled down there on the goal line. We just need to stop them to get the ball back, try to go down and try to win again. And they kind of went into a their their wedge or, or you know, small ball formation and uh, just kind of running uh, powers right at us with, with the running back. And we're so small up front that it kind of neutralized our speed and uh, they took advantage of the size disadvantage was able to, to move on us. Well, it's the same thing defensively. If we can get you in situations where you're going to have to pass or you're going to have to try to, you know, score quick or, or move the ball in a hurry and not play a power-type defense, then we can use our speed uh, you know, to force bad throws, which I think is what happened against Orange Beach and resulted in 14 points and us, us coming away with a win. That's right. You know, we had to just play football, so, you know, a, a different way than maybe some other people want to play it, but – you know, for the longest time, that's and, and in my mind, and you know, that's what Coach Baker and Coach Riggs and, and, and Coach, you know, Hart and all those guys. That's what they taught us is we weren't always the biggest. And and I'm not going to try to convince you that you are six four, two hundred seventy pounds. You, we, we're not going to play like that. But what we're going to do is is let's use our size and maybe our athleticism to counteract what you're doing. Let's use it to our advantage. And let's just make sure we keep outside contained and, 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 and wrap up and tackle and make you snap it one more time. And you just find that if, if you play disciplined football and, and, and you don't commit penalties and you keep that outside leverage and you don't let people bounce that side and get some interior penetration. And then you just, you find out if another team has a bunch of 16, 17 year old kids that can, 
put together a 12-play drive and be disciplined, and a, and a lot of them can't do it. You just keep making them snap it again, keep making them snap it again, and 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 just use your speed as to your advantage. Don't don't feel sorry for yourself. Hey, you know I, I think it's crazy, man. It's it's like for the longest time, about 50 years here in Bruton, it seems like the common gene is five foot ten, 170 pounds. <laughs> That's what everybody is. Um, whether you play linebacker, secondary, center, tight end, quarterback, everybody's five ten, 170. It's different. Um, it's different so in Atmore, I can tell you that. <laughs> yes, and so you just have to figure out how to play five ten, 170 pound football, and and figure out what you can do that, that, that can counteract what they're doing and just see if their way wants to, if, if, if you, what you want to do, if you can do it for 48 minutes and four quarters, well, let's just find out big boy. And a lot of guys don't want to do it. And about 721 times, I think now uh, it's worked. <laughs> so, and I think that's what I hear these coaches now trying to teach these guys. We're not the biggest team guys, but that we can't use that as an excuse, but let's find out what we can be good at and see if we can use that to our advantage. Before we go on, I'm going to just kind of read off the scores here of the first five games, and then I want to uh, kind of let's let's cover the region standings here a little bit, kind of give everybody an idea of you know, where everybody stands in the region right now because uh, we are in a Class 4A Region 1. We opened with a 26-20 to overtime victory against Hillcrest. Um, we... Played UMS right the second week. We lost 16 to 14 in a very hard fought game. We went to Wilcox for our first region game. Beat them 47 to 12. And we came home, uh, got a hold of the Jackson Aggies. And uh, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about the region thing down here. We lost to Jackson 38 to 7. The week after we played Jackson, we had a little hangover from that. But I thought we did a great job the following week. Uh, when we came back from behind in the fourth quarter, thought the coaching staff and all did a good job of, of getting us together and allowing us to win that game 27 to 14. And I know that we, um, we, we were probably a little disappointed by that, but at the same time, uh, I can tell you that there are a lot of Friday nights. It's not going your way and you just need to find a way to win the game. I think people get so caught up on, and I'll use the term sport, you know, uh, point spreads or spreads. This team should beat this team by so many points. Or this team should beat this. You know, you, you would think that. And, and people just aren't, seems like aren't satisfied with just wins anymore. You know, it's, you, know you should have beat them by three touchdowns and you only beat them by two. So I'm kind of disappointed. Well, I, I'll tell you, you know, on, on paper, yeah, we pro- probably shouldn't have been as close as, as what it was. But there's a human element to it, too, coach. You know, as good as anybody. Orange Beach come in really prepared. They have a really good football staff down there. You know him. I think you you and I had a conversation. You you coached him. Yeah. Um, he comes from a very famous football family name in Alabama, the Dubos. And so those guys know what they're doing down there. And they don't, they didn't have chopped liver on the other side. I thought their defensive game plan against us was really, really good. They pressured us a lot. They had just put everybody up on the line of scrimmage. And – uh you alluded to it earlier, probably, in my opinion, probably commander's best game. Uh, and it all started by him making some big runs, loosening things up. Uh, I think we worked the tight end a few times, loosened things up. And then we're to get the things going offensively a little bit enough to where the defense come in the second half and uh, was able to secure the win for us. And so you, sometimes you got to give credit to the other side as well. Some nights just win the game. Now, I remember yeah. telling my coaches that sometime at halftime. I know this hadn't gone like we wanted to. Let's just win the game. Because at the end of the day, when you look at the score 10 years from now, it's just going to say we beat Orange Beach 27-14. to 14. They don't put an asterisk by that and says, well, everybody in town thought we should have won it by two more touchdowns. <laughs> well, that's a good point. And that's, that's, that's kind of exactly what it right. was. Yeah. Coach, I think one thing that happens, too, and we talked about it earlier, is you, you, you go into that game with everybody telling you how – how bad you think you should beat them or how bad you're supposed to beat them. And I think you you sometimes get caught up going through the motions and going, well, if we'll just go out here at some point in time, um, it's just going to go our way. Well, somebody's got to make a play to make it go your way. Uh, you, you just think, well, when this game's over, we're automatically going to win by three touchdowns because they say we are. Well, that's for the people in the bleachers to talk about. So, but somebody's got to go out there and do something so that you do win the game. And, and I think we, 
said it. Commander kind of took that game over, and he decided in that fourth quarter, and we got those interceptions, but you, you still have to go out there and play the game. Um, you, you're not going to win those games in the newspaper on Monday or Tuesday. you got to go out there at, at 7 o'clock on Friday night and win the game, and I hope that's kind of a wake-up call as to it doesn't matter if we're supposed to lose by three touchdowns or win by three touchdowns. We just we got to go out there. We got to go out there and do our thing and play our game. And, and and not forget this either. Last year when we played them down there, that was a game that I think most people predicted that we would lose, uh, and we wound up. I, I think Michael winning by a couple of touchdowns. If I'm not not you know yeah. if I'm not misremembering, and uh, I, I and I thought that was the game last year. They kind of really cemented us and propelled us going forward, uh, especially defense-wise. Well, I can tell you guys, and uh, you know this, but um, uh, we are T.R. Miller, and we get everybody's best game. And I don't care what their record is, when they show up, they fist in the play. That's just part of tradition and the legacy here. So uh, let's talk a minute about the region record a little bit, where everybody stands. And then I'll kind of turn you all loose and let you all talk about this. First place in the region is Jackson with a record of 3-0. and And I'll just say, based on what I know, Jackson seems to be a head and shoulders above everybody else. They're kind of a class You're, of their own. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, they, they, they are really good. And I'll tell you, and I know you don't get too far off of, off of this, Coach, but, um, you know, the, you have J- Jackson, I think, is going to win our region. Um, and I would like to see a Jackson-Andalusia matchup some point down the road. <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, they are they are head and shoulders uh, the class of, of Region One Four A. Yeah. So, and and then there are four teams tied with a record of two and one. That's uh, Bayside Academy, St. Michael's, Escambia County, and uh, T. R. Miller. That's region records of two and one. Then in in sixth place we have Satsuma with a re- region record of one and two, but they've been beaten a couple of times pretty good by. Um, I uh, think they got beat by Atmore and St. Michael's, uh, about 35, 40-point losses there. And then you have Orange Beach and Wilcox who haven't won a region game. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little predicting here, which I warned everybody about for years, that you never did that. Uh, uh, Jackson looks like they're a little ahead of everybody else. Satsuma, Orange Beach, and Wilcox look like they're down towards the bottom this year. It, it just looks like going in, we've got four teams, Bayside, Miller, St. Michael's, and Atmore with two and one records. And it looks like it's going to be a dogfight for the other three playoff spots. It is. It's going to be, it's going to be wild. Yeah. Michael and I have talked about that in the booth, kind of looking, you know, we're not coaches. And so we can look ahead and be fans and lovers of T.R. Miller and, and, and kind of try to see where the stumbling blocks might be. And, and as the year progressed, Coach, you know, with with what Coach Vince Harris is doing down there at Atmore, uh, feels like maybe they've turned the corner. I know Michael had mentioned on air that they're, they're I think they're building some stuff down there for the football facility. And so uh, that's not going to be a um, kind of a rollover game. Uh, Bayside we've got coming up, St. Michael, uh, is another up and comer. So yeah, and it's it's the four top four teams make it. Uh, so Jackson, you would you know Jackson's going to be there. So it's going to come down to um, the next three or four weeks for T.R. Miller to uh, you know make our shot at the playoffs or not. And so uh, it's going to be a very exciting thing. And the hard thing about it, Coach and, and Michael, I'll let you talk a little more about it too. Is is we're going to be on the road. And uh, we've got to go to Bayside, and Bayside has a new head coach with a new offensive philosophy down there, which I think is, is going to be an interesting matchup for us. Yeah, it is. And we are tied, like you said, Coach, two and one. Well, we, we still have to play St. Michael's and Atmore and Bayside. And then, you know, Atmore, their next three games are against Jackson, T.R. Miller, Bayside. So we all kind of got to still play each other. And they're all on the road. And, and I heard, you know, Coach Hubbard talking about it the other day. He said, man, he said, you know, this, this is fixing to be, this is, this is kind of why you practice all summer right here. This is, Jackson's kind of separated. And, and like you said, not right. The other one's off, but they, they've kind of 
gone, uh, you know, had won, won many games. He said it, it's a, it's a four, it's four teams fighting for three spots, and somebody's gonna get left out. And so it's it's gonna it's gonna take some toughness and 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 who can play clean football. But but in T.R. Miller's case, and I, and I know Coach Reeves always said it, and, and and everybody that listens to this podcast and all the former T.R. Miller players remember, you know, and, and, and Coach Reeves told us this, and I know he told you all this, Tony, you know, if you're going to be a great team, then you're going to have to be real good on the road, and you need to take pride in going on the road and, and, and playing good, clean football. A lot of a lot of teams can't play on the road. For some reason, they, they, they just, their home field, they play so good, but something about going and eating a pregame meal away from where you normally eat and getting in that school bus or that charter bus and going on the road and being a little bit out of your rhythm and out of your normal routine and, and standing on a different sideline and being in a different locker room, some teams can't handle that. It takes it takes high character. It takes discipline. It takes toughness to be able to do that because you're, you're not at the house. Everybody sleeps better in their own bed. And, you know, you got to be – you got to be – it takes really good quality teams to go on the road and win. And, and that's where you separate yourself. A lot of teams, most everybody can win at home. But who can go win those big games on the road? And this year, more 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 than ever, that's what's going to take. And two of those two of those road trips are you know are two mobile. You know, uh, hey coach, we're not going to talk about the referees tonight. But I was just will say sometimes <laughs> it can be a little tougher to win down in Mobile. Um, and so you you have to, but you have to take pride in going on that road. And there is nothing like going into somebody else's stadium and whooping their butt on their field. It just is something that we've always been good at because that was instilled in us. And these kids are going to have to take that same mentality right now that the field is still 100 yards from goal line to goal line. It's still 53 feet wide. I mean, 53 yards wide. And all those are the same. So don't get – you have know, the locker room's different and this and that. We're going to wear the white jersey and not the red one. But all of those are, are, are you know, they're irrelevant things. The field's still the same. And, and, and it's – you got to go out there and play the game, and, and that's what separates the, the good teams and the okay teams from those great teams is who can go win those big road games, and we're going to have to be able to do it. And, guys, let me give you the five games uh, in order here we've got left, and let me give you the their record so far this year. So uh, Friday night we are going to Bayside Academy to play. Their record is 4-1 and one. on October 13th. Next week we go to Atmore to play Escambia County. They have a record of five and one. The following week, we got Satsuma coming here for homecoming. Uh, they have a record of three and two. Uh, on October twenty seventh, we go to St. Michael's to play. They have a record. They're the only ones that doesn't have a winning record. We got left. They have a three and three record. But my goodness, they've uh, they their losses. Two of their losses are to uh, whether well, three losses are to Gulf Shores, Bayside, and McGill. So they've played. Mm-hmm the toughest schedule of anybody. Of course, we finish up on November 3rd with Neil, who has a record of four and one. So we've got some some tough people left to play, and it starts Friday night um, with uh, the game against Bayside. And I'll just say this. Of course, they have a new coach, uh, Barrett Trotter. Uh, Phil Asby was a coach down there for years. I knew Phil very well. We competed a lot. The hardest thing about playing down there is we used to go down there and play and they would fire up that Jimmy Buffett music, start cooking that that shrimp and stuff over there, you know, and they'd just be real nice to you when you came in. It was like it was going to be a you know, big beach party down there on the bay. And then the game started, and they hit you square in the mouth when the game started. And uh, you, you better be ready to play from the get-go down there. I, I just think this is uh, this game Friday night's one of our biggest games of the year. And I just think it has potential to be a terrific football game. Well, you know, and you, you said it, Coach. Well, the one thing, um, and I know me and Tony have talked about it, and I've, I've heard Coach Hubbard talk about it, is this year there was so much unknown. Like the first game against Hillcrest, he said they had a new coach and they did not play a jamboree. So we didn't really know what they were going to do. Well, Bayside, they got a brand new coach. And for years, they've run that little, you know, wing tee offense and they could block that sucker, buddy, man. And I mean, it was, they had the, the best 135, 140 pound running backs you ever seen. And they get in there and pull them guards and it was misdirection. And now it's, they may still do a little of that. I don't really know. I hadn't had any chance to look at film, but 
You know, you they don't look at it, Barrett Trotter. They don't, and it's Barrett no. Trotter at quarterback, and, and he played at Auburn. So there's a lot of unknown, and, and, and you also ask yourself, well, what is he? What has he got up his sleeve that he hadn't shown yet? And so that's that's going to be there's going to be a lot of unknown there. And you got to be prepared, and so that, that that's going to make it tough. And then, of course, like you said, coach, you got to go to St. Michael, and, and they got a guy that's going to be you know their head coach down there. Uh, he's going to be elected in the NFL Hall of Fame one day. Um, and he has his son playing quarterback now. He's just a ninth grader, I think. And and, the, and everybody that I've talked to, including um, uh, David Faulkner, um, who is coaching at McGill, who, that, that's a 6 day school. They've played St. Michael last week. Like you said, the St. Michael schedule, good grief. They played Gulf Shores, who, if I'm not mistaken, ranked first or second in the state in 5A um, and, that, and have one of the better football players in the whole state down there playing for Gulf Shores. Um, St. Michael's has played these guys, but they said you can tell that the Rivers kid, uh, the coach's son, the quarterback, that one day he is going to be special. And, and, and he goes home every night with, and has a father. So not only does he get practice every day for a couple hours, but he goes home at night and, and he's sitting on the couch watching TV and football videos with a guy who, you know, is like a 17 year NFL fan who's, who's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. So the kid is, uh, you're going to see some really good football players down the stretch too. Is is not only these teams and these new coaches and these coaches that are that have that are really skilled offensively, but but uh, it's a lot of unknown too. Uh, who's been holding something back? Uh, you know, obviously St. Michael's playing Gulf Shores and McGill, knowing those were really good teams and they were non-region games. They may have had a lot of stuff that they they want to do that they didn't even use, and so. You're going to see some, you may see some sets and some formations and some play calls that you hadn't seen because people hadn't had to use them. And so that really makes it tough when you're trying to coach 15 and 16 year old kids Monday through Thursday to prepare them for what you do know they're going to do. And then you have so much out there that you don't know that they may, you know, what are they going to do? Um, and, and coach, you talked about it and Tony just talked about it. Uh, Vincent Harris, who, who spent a couple of years here as offensive line coach, has really turned out more Blue Devils around. And, and they got big plans down there. Golly, they're pumped up. They're about to build a field house. They're about to build a practice field. I hear they're about to paint their bleachers. They're going to build a new press box. They really got them going. And I've seen a couple of highlight clips. They got a wide receiver down there. And we played against him last year. He wears number one. This guy's got dynamite his cleats. He is a guy who can almost win a game by himself, can really run. So we, we, we have got some, some good action the next five weeks of football. Yeah, and it starts Friday night with Bayside, Coach. They, they've, they've abandoned that wing tee. Um, number three is going to be their quarterback. His name's Sammy Dunn. He's just a sophomore. He's about six foot, 180 pounds and is a, uh, a, a really good athlete. So, uh, they will use him to put pressure on our defense, and, and they're big. Uh, they're pretty big on the offensive front and defensive front. They have two or three guys that are 6'5", uh, 250, one's close to 300 pounds, and so and they're long. They have 6'2", 6'3", linebackers, and they have six-foot-plus defensive backs and wide receivers, and so they look a little bit like – um, not quite as big, but a little bit like uh, Jackson did. If you're at Jackson's game, uh, they're, they're long, they're big, they're pretty athletic, and uh, they're going to use the quarterback to put pressure on our defense. Now, I'm by no means comparing him to Jackson's quarterback because that kid is absolutely phenomenal, which, and he's only a sophomore as well. But um, it's going to be a tall task for the Tigers Friday night um, uh, against Bayside uh, because they're going to be well coached. I've watched a little bit of their film Matter of fact, right now I've got a film of them and St. Michael's playing, and, and uh, I think this game goes into overtime, and, and Bayside win, winds up winning it, I believe, if I saw the description on it right. But um, it, it's, it's it's two pretty good teams going at each other, knocking heads right now. And the, the Tigers are going to have to play really good the second half, not, not just Friday night, but the second half because of all the reasons we just talked about. And one of the things you know I think that we need to improve on is is um, negative yards, whether it be from penalties, or busted plays, sacks, uh, whatever the case may be, is we need to really improve on that. I've been happy we haven't had a whole lot of turnovers this year offensively. Uh, our, our defense has played well enough to, to keep us around, uh, but it seems like we, we'll, have, we'll put together really, really good drives, get down close to the red zone or near the red zone, 
and um, we'll have one or two bad plays that kind of ends the drive for us. And, and probably our biggest glaring Achilles heel coach is that we don't have a long-range kicking game uh, to score points with. And so uh, there's been a couple times this year, uh, like the very first game of the year, I think if Coach Hubbard would have had a little bit of confidence in the kicking game, uh, that maybe we could have kicked and avoided overtime, but we just didn't have anybody with experience because we lost all that last year uh, to be able to do that. Now, as the season's going on, Little, uh, and I think there's somebody else, Michael, help me if it's somebody else, but I know Little's been coming in doing some kicking, uh, and, and it seemed to be getting better, uh, but uh, we still don't have that long-range kicking game that you expect that you're going to see out of a Bayside or St. Michael or some of the schools that are down around the Mobile Bay area. So uh, possessions are going to be crucial and every point we can score is going to be crucial because I feel like we're going to be missing that, you know, 25 to 30 to 35 yards field goal uh, that maybe we could have knocked through last year that we won't be able to do this year. You know, we're coming off the open date. One good thing about the open date is, uh, you know, you, you can work on some things you need to work on. You can kind of get healed up a little bit. And just talking to a couple of the coaches, I, I just – you know, talking to them, I think they had a really good open day. They got some real good work done. And uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we expect to see you know, an improved football team, which obviously we're going to need down the road. Hope that um, uh, the T.R. Miller folks will uh, uh, get in their vehicles and go support the Tigers and uh, and get with them here as we finish up the season. Yeah, Bayside's also coming off of the open day too. So you just don't know what you're going to get from them coming coming out of – and I don't know what kind of injuries they sustained either that they had to get well from. And then what they're going to try to do during an open week, you being a coach, you're going to test it is. It's, uh, you know, sometimes teams will want to just kind of work and focus on what they need to work on. And then sometimes they feel like they've got that mastered. And maybe they want to put in a new wrinkle during the second half of the season because, you know, we talked about how imperative it's going to be for T.R. Miller the second season – to try to make to the third season, which is the playoffs. Um, Bayside sitting essentially in the same boat that we are. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, I got a feeling they're going to pull out all the stops as well. And uh, so, yeah, we, we need a lot of crowd support down there. Um, and, and the Tigers are certainly going to have to play their A, a game um, and, and, and try to dictate the game to, have to um, put themselves in the best position to win this game. Yeah, I think a lot of teams uh, – and, and I know Coach Riggs is – there's been years where you had an open week. There's been years where you hadn't had an open week. And I think it's – there's really no – what's the right answer? Should you have an open week? Should you? I think every <laughs> team's different every season. I think there's yeah. some years you had an open week and you were playing real good. And you're like, dang, we didn't need an open week. We were really rolling. And then there's 10 years where you don't have an open week and you're like, good lee, man. I was sure wish we had an open week because we got so many guys with bum ankles and hurt shoulders. For some reason, I just think that the T.R. Miller team this year needed an open week. I, that, 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 that thrashing they took from Jackson, they bounced back against Orange Beach. Like you said, they got the win. But, you know, C.J. Gibson just coming back from his injury, Lamari and Bale, the nose guard, um, you know, hopefully this off week really helps that ankle heal up even better. Um, and then just with so many guys like Stephen Lane and them and, 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 and Eli Hubbard and Kavarius Bale, and, and so many guys play in both ways. I, I don't know. I'm not the coach, but I would think that this was for this team was probably a good thing was to have an open. Guys, listen, I, I really appreciate y'all coming on talking about the uh, 2023 edition of the uh, Miller Tigers and where we are and where we're headed. So it looks like an exciting second half of the season. If you can't be at the game, tune in and listen to uh, Michael and. Uh, Tony, uh, uh, give you the play-by-play and talk about the referees during the game. So, don't, coach, coach, don't cut coach, them any slack. Before we go, I, I saw right. you last night, Coach, at the J, at the middle school game, and I, I want to give – I know how it, a lot of times parents are the ones that are the last ones to want to brag on their child, but did you notice even in middle school football now we've gone to shotgun snaps. Yes. And last night in the middle school football game – we had a left-handed center in there, and and and, and uh, you know, our good, we lost a good buddy last year, Josh yeah. Brown, uh, one of our best friends, who was a left-handed center. But we had a left-handed center last night in a middle school football game who snapped it in the shotgun all night long, 
And I think that was one bad snap. <laughs> and that's pretty impressive for an eighth grade kid to snap to the quarterback all night in the shotgun to have one bad snap. And that was none other than Mitchell Burnham, son of Tony Burnham. And, and I thought that he did an outstanding job last night. Well, Michael, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I kind of got a little choked up when you mentioned Josh because I, I don't know this for sure, but I like to think maybe this might be the first left-handed center that T.R. Miller's had probably since Josh Brown, and who was who was a dear friend of ours and played for you, coach, and was on some really good teams that you coached. And so uh, it, it, every time I see him get down there over the ball, that left hand, it reminds me of, of Obaz, and uh, it. it, it I don't know, just has a little special place in my heart for it. And the, the ironic thing about it is um, he wasn't a center until the first week of the season, of the game season, and, and they moved him to center. And uh, he and I went up there one Sunday and worked on it. He said, okay, I got it. And so uh, uh, now he loves it. He wanted to be defense to begin with and didn't want to do offense. And now he's like, no, I just want to be center. So, um, <laughs> Michael, I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, uh you know, it's kind of like when my I daughter, think, when my daughter was a coacher. You know, I yeah. loved it and I hated it. It's the same way with him because now every play he has a chance of messing up. <laughs> well, I think Coach Riggs can speak on this because he's a good kid and, if, and, and he's going to do right. He's going to live right and he's a good boy and he's going to play hard. And if he'll just grow up not to act like his dad, Tony, and his uncle Josh, he'll be just fine. Because um, you kind of guys were the guys that made coaches like Coach Riggs go crazy. And, uh, <laughs> He'll be a lot easier to coach than you two guys. I know that. Ah, uh, Tony made Tony made it a lot more fun. <laughs> Thanks for you saying that, that way, coach. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you all again. Uh, get out there and support those T.R. Miller Tigers. Thank you, coach. Thank, thank you, coach. And coach, thank you. And if we need to do this before the playoffs, hey. We'll do it again. Sounds sounds like a good idea. Okay, guys, this has been a minute with Coach Riggs. Thanks for tuning in.